Good morning. Sure, it's good to be here with y'all. Praise and awesome. <coughs> yeah, praise and worship. <laughs> it was awesome, wasn't it? Amen. I felt like I'm drunk already. I do. It was good. Uh, I don't know if that doesn't excite y'all. Uh, something's wrong with all I can tell you. I mean, your, your wood's just wet. If you can come in here and listen to anointed praise and worship and it not uh, move you closer to God. Need to pray God to dry your wood out, put you out in the sun, let you dry out a little bit where you can absorb some. Because it was thick. Before I even came in here, I got Rick and Nick. I think I don't know if any of y'all are old enough to remember the Minnesota Wrecking Crew, Ole and Orrin Anderson, the wrestlers. Yeah, the old man. That's kind of like Rick and Nick. I think they kicked the devil's butt at any moment. I really do. I mean, they grabbed me and took me down and prayed for me. Whew. Talk about a blessing. That's a blessing. And here I am supposed to be a blessing. Anyway, welcome to the uh, Church of the Firstborn. Maybe I shouldn't say that. Maybe I should say Connection Church. Hebrew says that we are um, we're in the middle of the Church of the Firstborn. Hebrews 12, that we have come to God, <coughs> the judge of all men, through the spirits of righteous men who've been made perfect, or even in the presence of Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, which I'm supposed to speak about, and even to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word. You know, we have a better covenant. We have so much more than what the Israelites had under the old covenant. I'm just honored to have this opportunity to speak. Um, to y'all, I really am. It's used to always say, uh, thank God at Planners, just about a lot of times before I gave devotion, you know, to have the opportunity to speak, it was better than being lineman of the year. And it really is, because the Word of God says in Proverbs that there's one who scatters, who gives freely, yet he increases. <clears throat> there's one who waters, and yet he's watered himself. And then there's those that Hold on tightly to everything they have, and you wind up poor. So just have an opportunity to speak the Word of God, um, which is all I'm here to do. I'm not, I'm not here to give you, hopefully, any new revelation, any new learning. Maybe just remind you. Peter says that he was just reminding um, folks in his letter about things they already knew. I don't know about y'all, but sometimes I just need to be reminded. And I better shut up. I've just got 46 minutes left. <coughs> I'm just rambling. <coughs> but uh, Generosity. Uh, supposed to speak on generosity and sticking to the mission this morning. Um, and of course, as my kids could tell you, if I ask them to stand up and give testimony anytime we do a Bible study word at the house, it's usually on the Bible verse that we've had on the drive race board for some time. Um, I'm just a big, I'm just a big, maybe not student. Maybe if I'd have studied a little more in school, I'd done better, but words interest me anyway, especially word definitions interest me. And I always go to Webster, because it was said of Webster that he could, these are our, these are our founding fathers, that he could literally quote the Bible chapter and verse. So these new dictionaries I don't really have much stock in. I always go back to Webster, because he could literally take this Bible, if you just told him to quote Ezekiel 16, he'd start spitting it out. So anybody... 
that could do that, I think, has got a pretty good idea of what, especially what the Word of God means, what words mean as they pertain to the Word of God. And a lot of times, if you look his words up, his definitions, he'll have Bible references in there to him. So generosity, the first thing I did was go to Webster to see what Webster, how he would have defined generosity and what it means to be generous. And I don't know about y'all, but of course, first thing that comes to mind is being open-handed. Now, i got to wear glasses. I've gotten to that point. I'm sorry. Um, I didn't think it ever happened, but it's happened. Um, to be open-handed, to be liberal in giving, um, and that's probably, I guess, what we think of primarily when it comes to generosity is giving, and certainly that is uh, probably the biggest uh, definition of it. But what really caught my interest, and I don't know if some of you teachers in here might can help me. I better be like Jeremy start walking around. See, that better help me. Um, the first word in that definition was in italics. I don't know what that means. Does anybody help me out? And it was archaic. It says archaic, generosity, italics, archaic. Nobody? So I looked up archaic, naturally. Well, what does archaic mean? It's just interesting. And I don't think that's a defini the definition of generosity, but what it means, but archaic means uh, it's an adjective. It means old-fashioned. And I found this very intriguing. It's words that are part of a language but are no longer considered. Whew. I don't know about y'all, when I read that, I was like, God. I know that's not describing what generosity means, but that's describing our generation. That's describing our society today. We are, like Brandon says so many times, if you ever go to Statesboro, 10 out of 10 people are selfish. We are. I know myself. I'm selfish, you know. And generosity has become an archaic word, unfortunately, for many of us. It's just old-fashioned. It's outdated. We don't even use it anymore. We don't express it anymore. But God calls us to be generous people. i got four to three minutes. I ain't even got past the first line. i got four pages, y'all. <laughs> I'm in trouble, Jeremy. I'm in trouble. <laughs> but the very first definition of generosity, let's get past our cake. We know that we're called to be generous. Was highborn. I mean, highborn. I mean, H I G H B O R, highborn. Like, generosity, highborn. What? And I got to thinking about it, just thinking about it, just meditate. Oh, I just got to meditate. You know, you know, Brian, how a cow meditates. Grabs in some of that hay, chews on it while he swallows in that. I don't know much about cows, but they tell me they have a, two stomachs. And they drop this down in here, and after a while, they bring it back up. That same old, and they meditate on it. They're meditating, they're just chewing on it. I just chewed on that highborn, you know, highborn, generosity highborn. I'm like, wow, that's God's nature. For us to be generous, we've got to have God's nature. We've got to be born actually from on high. Um, Romans 8.32 says that he who spared not his own son, how will he not freely give us all things to enjoy? So that's the nature of our God. He's given, us, he's given us his best. He's given us himself. But along with himself, the word of God says in Romans 8, that he's given us all things to enjoy freely. Freely. 
I'm afraid too many times people don't come to God because they see God as a killjoy, as a stick in the mud that just all he wants me to do is read my Bible and preach or go on a mission trip somewhere. And that's not God. That may be what he wants you to do. If he does, you can't do anything else. But that's not all he wants us to do. Um, unfortunately, what we think about, I've got 41 minutes. Unfortunately, what we think about, uh, when we think about generosity, and I found it's really interesting. I find it funny that almost always when it's time to talk about money, the preacher finds somebody else to talk about it because he doesn't want to be the one talking about money. But <laughs> primarily when we think about being generous in our society, that's what we equate generosity with is money. Or just give somebody money. And that may that's part of it. It takes money for this to happen. It does. But uh, it takes a lot more than money for this to happen. I can promise you. A lot more than money. Because if we all just threw our money at it, there wouldn't be nobody here to do it. Um, so money is not the only part of being generous. It's a portion, but it's not the, the only part. Um, and so when we think about giving, especially to the church, ultimately unto God, what's our standard that we think about? What's that, what have we always been taught what we should do? We've got 40 minutes, y'all help me. I ain't even through the first three. Come on. 10%. 10%. That's our standard. That's our bottom entry level. That's our that's our measuring stick. We think, well, I give 10%. I'm good with God. And, you know, nothing mad is going to happen to me. I want us to consider Israel. If we're going to preach the tithe, if we're going to stick to the tithe, we're going to preach and teach the whole tithe, not just 10%. Israel had three tithes that they were required to pay. 30%. Three tithes. A tithe is 10%. That's what tithe means, 10%. They had three tithes. First tithe was the Levitical tithe. If you want to jot this down, you can, but it's in Leviticus 27, 30 through 32, Numbers 18, 21, 24. We're not going to read it, but that's where it's at, the Leviticus tithe. The second was an annual festival tithe, which we find in Deuteronomy 14, 22 through 27. And then we had the poor tithe that was taken for the poor. And that was actually only taken every three years. The poor tithe was only taken every three years. So I'm not a theologian, I'm not a scholar. Um, I read what theologians and what scholars say, so I'm going on what they say, okay? Um, I have learned this in my walk with God. Um, the, the, theology is simply the study of God, and that's amazing to me. How, somebody considers himself a theologian, a person, how are you going to study God? And some people think they've got God in a box, and they know exactly how he's going to do and what he's going to do all the time, every time. And God will just blow your box away, I, I promise you. He'll, he'll mess you up. You can't put God in a box, okay? I don't care how smart you are, how many PhDs you have. You can't, you can't contain God, man. He's, he's way bigger, we think and imagine. But i um, got 38 minutes. Um, <clears throat> If you added it all up, and I, you know, if you wanted, I took 10%. Every, every year they were required to give 10% to Levitical tithe, 10% to the annual festival tithe. And then every third year they were supposed to give 10% on top of that to the poor. So if you break that down like my wife likes to do, and she likes to budget, well, we don't really budget, but she wants to budget. She wants to get on budget. 
If you break that down, you took that poor tithe every three years, you know, that's 3.3, 3, 10%, 3.3, not a count it, but 3.3 comes almost to 10, 9.9. So you could say 23, y'all follow me? 23% of your increase would be given to God every year. Unless you just want to save it all back in that third year, just give it a 10%. But I'm just saying, basically, every, every year, um, the Israelites were required to give 23%, just in tithes now, um, to the work of God. So we really want to stick to the tithe. And that's not all. <sighs> then you had the five offerings that were required, the burnt offerings. These are, if you really love to read interesting stuff like Leviticus, you can find this in Leviticus chapters 1 through 7. I wouldn't make it through the next 37 minutes if we read those seven chapters, but um, they had the burnt offering, the meal offering, Praise offering, sin offering, and a trespass offering. So that if you added all that up from what I read and what I understand, if you added all that up, um, that came to about 40% of what they brought in was given to the work of God, to the temple, to the priest, to the poor. 40%. If you take the 40% that Uncle Sam takes from me, plus um, that little meager check I get from planters, there ain't a whole lot of that will be left over if we tie them 40%. But under the law, if we want to stick to the law, okay, that's 40%. Some of y'all would really like the uh, annual festival ties. It, it comes out of Deuteronomy 14, 22 through 27, and I've just got to read it. Because like I said, God is a generous God. He's extravagant. He wants us to have a good time. Like Alan Jackson, a good time. Some of y'all like, you don't never. <laughs> have mercy. <clears throat> Just listen to this. Just listen. You don't have to turn there. I found it very interesting. Make an offering. This is, you can find these two ties, the, um, the annual festival tithes and the poor tithe in Deuteronomy 14. This is the uh, annual festival tithe. I make an offering of 10%, a tithe of all the produce which grows in your field year after year, and bring it into the presence of God, your God, at the place he designates for worship. And later in that, that would be Israel. That would be Jerusalem. And there, eat the tithe from your grain. Eat the tithe? wine and oil and the firstborn from your herds and flocks. In this way, you will learn to live in deep reverence before God your God as long as you live. But if the place God your God designates for worship is too far away and you can't carry your tithe for that, for um, you can exchange your tithe for money, for silver, and take the money to the place God your God has chosen to be worshipped. So in other words, if God just increased Brian to the point that he couldn't travel to Atlanta with all his cows and all his donkeys and all his sheep and all his chickens and all his eggs and ducks and whatever else you got on the farm, Brian, I don't know. But if it got to that point where you just, you know, for me to take 10% to Atlanta uh, once a year, that's just too much. I can't do it. God said you could just sell that and bring that money to Atlanta, and then you could buy whatever you want to buy. So tithe to me. And this is what's wild, though. This is what we get to do with the tithe. Um, 
use the money, so you just sold all your chickens and eggs, donkeys and cows, and you got some money to go to Atlanta with to worship God, to give him his tithe. Use the money to buy anything you want, cattle, sheep, this is going to get me in trouble, wine or beer, some translations say strong drink, anything that looks good to you, anything that looks good to you. Some of y'all thinking, oh, he's up here preaching at wine and drinking beer and drinking uh, Jack Daniels is okay. I'm just reading what the Word of God says, okay? Don't get mad at me and shout me down because God says it. I didn't say it. God's saying, take the money, go to Jerusalem, buy whatever you want to buy, um, anything that looks good to you. You and your family can then feast in the presence of God, your God, and have a good time. See, some of y'all won't come to God because you think God doesn't want you to have a good time. If I had to put that in modern language, I would think it's okay for me to set some money back for me to go on vacation with my family and have a good time. God's okay with us having a good time and enjoying. I just read to y'all Romans 8 that he gives us all things freely to enjoy. All things freely to enjoy. He's a good God. He's a good God. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weak okay, and heavy laden. And I'll give you rest because my yoke is light. My burden is easy. Okay? He's, a, he's a good God. He's not a bad God. He wants us to enjoy what he's given. But to enjoy it in the knowledge that we are always and continually in his presence. We can never get away from him. And to enjoy it in such a way that brings him honor and glory. Okay? I'm not advocating anything. I'm just reading what the word of God says. And God's a good God and he doesn't mind us having a a good time. I still ain't first halfway through. So, Jeremy, how would that work? 40% in tithes and offerings. Would you like to have that? That'd be great. We could probably build a church if everybody would agree to pay 40% of their income. We could do a whole lot with 40%. That'd be good. Any, anybody make a vow? Now, God says, you know, before you make a vow, be sure you don't carry through with it, so anybody want to vow to give 40% this morning? I think Jeremy would be happy with 10% if that's the standard you want to go by. My point is we're not under law, we're under grace, and you're going to see that in a minute. <coughs> um, Barna, you know, I never get these phone calls, but supposedly Barna does these researches and uh, polls all over the country. I've never gotten one. They've never called our house and asked me anything. But supposedly they do these polls and um i did a poll some years ago uh, among supposedly evangelical born again people who call themselves christians and they just asked how many of them tithe 10 percent to the local church be amazed anybody got any idea how many people dallas probably knows i ain't asking you that y'all can talk this is okay i'm not the preacher y'all can talk 10%, 20%, 50%, 40%, how much? Jeez, come on, man. That ain't that bad. <laughs> 5%. 5% of so-called Christians actually tithe 10%. That's, you know, $1 for every $10. That's $10 for every $100. That's $100 for every $1,000. 5%. That's... Not going to heaven or hell because you tithe or don't tithe, but it's like the bumper sticker said, honk if you love Jesus, or tithe if you love Jesus. Anybody can honk. So. Um, 
Uh, y'all probably, Kyle didn't hear today, is it? I don't know if it was Kyle told this story or I read it somewhere. I might have even been, but anyway, these two guys were fishing and, um, you know, off the coast somewhere. Y'all, I don't know if it was Reader's Digest or what it was a while back I read this, but they were off coast fishing somewhere. Anyway, storm blew up and this little boat they were in got shipwrecked and they actually wound up on this little small plot of sand, basically, but it was called a deserted island. They were out there in the middle of nowhere. And um, they'd been there three or four days. One guy was just fretting. He was walking around and around and around just worrying to death what was going to happen. And the other guy was kind of laying out, you know, just laying there on the beach. I guess he was picking a coconut or whatever and now and then just drinking some coconut milk, whatever he was doing, having a good time, um, enjoying himself. And the other guy was like, man, what's wrong with you? Ain't you worried we're just going to die out here on this deserted island? Nobody's going to ever find us. And uh, the other fellow was like, no, I really ain't worried about it. What in the heck's wrong with you? He said, well, you don't understand. I make like $100,000 plus every week, every week. And I tithe. I tithe faithfully in my local church. I guarantee you my pastor's going to find me. <laughs> I guarantee you. <clears throat> so while tithes, <clears throat> tithes may not be taught in the New Testament. Man, I got to go. I got 28 minutes. We are commanded, we are commanded to give under the new covenant. We're going to speed up now. We are commanded to give under the new covenant. And we are commanded to give extravagantly, generously, as children who are high born. We are. Because we have been given so extravagantly <coughs> and so generously. Um, First Corinthians, I'm sorry, Second Corinthians, I think he's going to put it up here on the screen. 9, 6, and 7. I'm going to read out Dallas's favorite translation of the message here. Remember, a stingy planter, stingy farmer, gets a stingy crop. A lavish planter gets a lavish crop. I want each of you to take plenty of time to think it over and make up your own mind as to what you will give. <clears throat> now that will protect you against sob stories and arm twisting. God loves it when the giver delights in the giving. God loves a cheerful giver. So if you want to reap sparingly, the law is you have to sow sparingly. If you were to plant, I mean, Brian could probably break that down for us. I don't know, I ain't a farmer. But if you're just going to plant this little patch over here in corn, you can't expect to fill your grain being up with corn. I mean, you if you got to sow. you got to give a bunch if you expect to receive a bunch. It's, it's true in the physical. It's true in the spiritual. It really is. God loves a cheerful giver. <coughs> First Corinthians 16, 2, the Word of God says um, that we're to give as God has prospered you. Okay? So some people are able to give a whole lot more than other people. God doesn't give us, he doesn't bless us materially just for us to sit on it and to store up for ourselves, okay? And most of us in this room, most of us, maybe not all of us, have been blessed um, extravagantly, materially. And we could give, we could do a whole lot more than what we're doing. That's the bottom line. <coughs> in Mark chapter 12, verses 14 through 17, hopefully y'all are familiar with this story. Um, the Pharisees are trying to trick Jesus, and they uh, come to him and they ask him, I'm just trying to walk like Jeremy. That's all. <coughs> um, 
They ask him, uh, is it right to give, to pay taxes unto Caesar? Y'all know the story? Y'all know the story. I know y'all do. And um, if you know the story, Jesus says, well, give me a coin. He takes the coin, he looks at it, and he's like, uh, whose inscription, whose image is on this thing? And they say, Caesar's. <clears throat> and Jesus' response is, well, give to Caesar. I can imagine just kind of flipping it up. I mean, Jesus is my kind of man. We've got this picture of Jesus, this nice little flower dude that just walked around and loved everybody. He was tough. He was a tough guy. He was tough. Now, if you go medically and examine what he went through at the crucifixion, just the beating and the whipping and the blood loss that would have been done and then carrying that cross, he was a tough man. He was, I mean, he was like, he like UFC. He probably would have, he probably been a champion. You, I'm serious. He was a bad dude, really and truly. And he didn't take no smack off of these guys. He didn't. He didn't. And unfortunately, a lot of times we think we're just supposed to be doormats for the devil to walk on, but we're not. We're not. We need to be bold in Jesus' name. I can just imagine him kind of flipping this thing back out. I'm biting this gum. I'd love to. That ain't, that ain't Jesus. Anyway, I can imagine it. Flipping out. And he says, give to Caesar what Caesar's and give to God. Give to God what is God's. As I thought about that, what is he saying? What does he mean by that? Jesus is basically saying, whatever has Caesar's image on it, whatever has his stamp, give it to Caesar. But whatever has God's image on it, whatever has God's stamp on it, give that to God. And basically what he's saying is, see, some of y'all just, I say some of y'all, I don't mean to separate myself from y'all. Some of us, I know I have. I was guilty of thinking, God just wants my money. <clears throat> I can just, in my mind, I'm thinking Jesus is going, keep your money. I don't want your money. That ain't what I came for. I did not come for your money. Money has George Washington's image or Abraham Lincoln's. Who's got a $100 bill? I don't know what's on a $100 bill. I haven't seen too many of those. Whoever. That's what Jesus is saying. God doesn't want your money. He doesn't need it. He doesn't need it. He says in the book of Psalms that every wild bird and every wild beast, the cattle on a thousand hills, are mine. If I were hungry, God says, I wouldn't ask you. I would not ask you for anything. I wouldn't. The whole earth, the earth is mine and everything in it. He doesn't need it. So we need to move past that idea of God just wants my money. That's not, that's not what he wants. It's like, we don't want anything from you. We just want something for you here. We really do. And that's the same. I think God has that same attitude. He just wants something for you. We sing these songs um, like we've sung in the past. Here's my heart, Lord. Grab his guitar and start playing. I really missed it this morning. Here's my heart, Lord. Does he really have your heart? Or uh, what's the Hillsong song, Jim Gresham? What could I say? What could I do? Offer this heart, oh God. Please let it be. Really? Do we really offer our hearts completely to God? I would rather just give him 2%. A dollar or two or five. It's a hard attitude. See, the Bible says that it's, I got 22 minutes. The Bible says that the love of Christ constrains us. It's the love. It's the love of Christ that constrains us. And that word Christ is not Jesus' last name. 
I don't know what Joseph's name was, but he wasn't his real daddy anyway, so it doesn't matter. But Christ is not Jesus' last name. Okay? It's not. Christ is actually a Greek word. I'm not a scholar. I'm just reading what people say, so they're wrong. God forgive them. But Christ is actually means the anointed one, the anointing, the anointed one. You know Jesus of Nazareth, Peter says in the book of Acts. You know Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Ghost and with power. Christ is actually a Greek word, Christos, that means anointing. It is. So it's that love of the anointing. It's the, very, it's the love of the very presence of God living inside of me. It's the fact that I've been born from on high. I'm high born. It's that love that, that you can't know until you know it. You can't have it until you have it. I can't explain it to you. It's what Jesus said. You can't, it, it's like the wind. It blows where, it's, where it wants to. You don't know where it came from. I was in it all day long yesterday down in Jessup at a ball game, at three ball games. It'd blow this way sometimes, and it'd come back and blow you that way, blow you from the side over. I mean, you don't know where it's coming. You don't know where it's going. I, mean, I can't tell you. All you know is when you know it, you know it. When you got him, you got him. And when you have that, I mean, it's, Jesus compared it to the pearl of great price. When you find it, when you finally clicks, okay, you'd go sell everything you have just to get that one pearl. Just, you'd sell it all just for that presence. You really would. And that's what God wants for us. Not what he wants from us. That's what he wants for us. He wants, he wants us to be one with him. The only way I know to say it. He wants us to be one with him. 20 minutes. I'm going to skip that. I got to go. Um, God is an extravagant, generous God. He bankrupted heaven. Philippians 2 says that although he, ex although he existed as God, he did not count equality with God as something to be held on to. But he lowered himself, becoming a human, and basically bankrupted heaven so that he could redeem his creation. I mean, that's how extravagant God is. He, he, he left everything, okay, to come and redeem his creation um, <clears throat> so that we could be full of him, so that we could be like him. I mean, the Bible says that when we see him, we will be like him. And I don't think that just means when we get to heaven, and I know that we will be like him completely and ultimately at that time. But I think also as we see him now, as we encounter his presence in us, we become more like him, and that is the goal. Um, our goal is to become more like him, to become full okay to be filled to the fullness i think ephesians says the, the measure of christ just to be full and overflowing um but generosity is not just you know us giving money it's it's giving our own time and our own efforts and our own talents i'm thinking about some of y'all that went and gave you know took some food and visited with the berry family uh after the kid was, you know, after he died, coming back from Waynesboro, I'm thinking, I think Jeremy and some of them went and built a ramp Saturday, yesterday, for uh, the Yeoman's Girl. Maybe they got started, hopefully, I don't know. But um, some of the connect groups are going to be doing some service work in the community here in the next week or two. Um, that's as big a part, probably bigger of being generous uh, than just giving our money. But I just want to ask you all a question. Who comes to your mind 
when you think about generous as far as Bible characters go, I mean, my main man as far as I can who I admire or who I, as far as men go in the Bible, would probably be Amos, personally myself, and that's just because Amos was a shepherd. He was just, I mean, if you want to, he was just a lineman. He was just a dumb old ignorant lineman, so to speak. Okay, he hadn't ever been to school, just but God called him, and uh, he shows up and he says, I'm not a prophet, I'm not the son of a prophet. Okay, the Lord has spoken, who can help but prophesy? I said, Amos is just kind of a man. I just identify with him. I mean, God's spoken. We have his word. If we just read it and absorb it, it's going to come out. I mean, it's going to come out. As I sit here and try to get this together, it's, it is impossible to sit down and write everything you want to say or to type it out because you just get so confused. I mean, the Spirit of God is just doing all kind of stuff. All these verses are coming to mind, and you're, just, you're trying to keep up and catch up, and you can't. It's, it is impossible. And I sat there this morning before I came, just closed the Bible. I was like, you know, God, just whatever you want to say and do, you can take it and throw it all in trash. I don't care because it's, it is real uh, perplexing. It really is um, to try to fit it all together when there's so much going on. But if we just take time, God has spoken. If we will just take time to look into his word, I promise you, you can speak his word because what comes in is going to come out. I can promise you. Um, but who do you think of when you think about somebody being generous other than Jesus? Okay, let's set him aside. He is God. And he is what he is. Um, he is generous and extravagant. But other than that, is there anybody that just pops in your mind as being extravagant, generous, giving? Samaritan, yeah. That's true. I didn't think about him. <laughs> See? <laughs> well, I better read my Bible. <laughs> Y'all came up with some better ones than I came up with. <laughs> Fifteen minutes, I got to go. <clears throat> Just, I guess, encompassing all that generosity means as far as the giving and the taking care of. And um, the person I thought of was David. I considered his whole life was David. And yeah, David messed up. If you know David, he messed up. Anybody here not messed up? Stand up. The Bible says in Titus that we all once were foolish, disobedient. But we don't have to stay that way, praise God. Um, but David just come to mind simply because, um, you know, when you consider his life, he, he was out in the field taking care of the sheep. Uh, you know the story, Saul was chosen as king, and he messed up, and uh, God rejected him. And Samuel, the prophet, went to Jesse, his father, and, they got all the sons together, and there were seven of them. David was out in the field taking care of the sheep, playing his harp, just praising and worshiping out there on the back of the desert somewhere. Um, God called him up, and God anointed him as king. He went and ministered to Saul, and uh, Saul hated him, but he actually ministered to Saul as he was demon-oppressed at least. And um, 
Saul actually tried to kill him on several occasions. Threw a spear at him. Good thing he didn't have a forty-five, but he threw a spear at him and um, stuck in the wall. And David took off and ran. Ran all through the mountains for years and years and years. Saul hunted him down like a dog, trying to kill him. David never did anything uh, wrong to him. And um, twice, I think, David had an occasion that uh, he could have killed Saul. Had opportunity anyway. It's in 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel. Go read it. Um, it's a great story. Um, but he didn't. And um, God eventually anointed him as king and put him on the throne. Um, but probably the biggest act of generosity I think that David performed was uh, over in 2 Samuel 24. David made a mistake of counting the Israelites, how many fighting men he had. And um, God got ticked off, put it in a nutshell, uh, 12 minutes. God got ticked off, and um, a plague spread throughout Israel. And basically what happened was Gad, who was a prophet at that time, came to David and said, if you want to stop this plague, offer a sacrifice, and um, you know, it'll be covered. So David goes to, I think it's Aruna. He wants to buy this threshing floor so that he can offer a sacrifice to God and stop this plague. And um, Aruna says, yeah, you can have it, man. Take it. It's yours. Here's some sheep, some cows, whatever. Sacrifice just to stop this thing. And if you know the story, David's response is, no, I'm not going to offer to God that which costs me nothing. That was his response. I mean, he was a generous. I might say, well, he could have been. He was a generous man. He was extravagant. And that place is actually, so scholars say, that place is actually was the place that Abraham would have sacrificed his son Isaac. It is actually the place where Jesus, it was the place of the school. It was actually the mount where Jesus was crucified. So, God's amazing. But the thing there is the next, what that brings us up to is the next, yeah, I just got through with generosity, is the next uh, topic of staying on mission. If we're going to stay on mission, we can't offer to God that which costs us nothing. Um, we've got 8,000. This is what got me. I don't know if, if I asked the question, who can answer it? What is our mission? I should start there. What is our mission here at Connection Church in Miller? What is our mission? Besides Jeremy and Dallas. That's the official. Y'all hear her? Connect people to a growing relationship with God, Jesus Christ. That's the official connection um, mission. I kind of like our own individual, our personal mission. That came from Jeremy when we first got started. We got 8,000. At the time, we had something like 8,000 people in this community that were unchurched. Whether they saved or not, between them and God, but they definitely are unchurched and need discipling at the very least. That's what hooked me. Um, got 8,000 people in Jenkins County. And you might laugh at that and say, oh, it ain't so. We've got churches everywhere. Uh, we've had someone that's almost say, just someone. I won't say if they're here or they ain't here. It's him or it's her. We had someone not too long ago that got saved um, through Connection Church. And, um, I mean, miraculously saved. Life changing, turning around, salvation. And um, this person... made it known that 
this person, hmm, I thought you were going to catch me, <coughs> that this person had never, never even had a Bible, much less read it, until now, until recently. Now, whether this person went and bought their Bible or whether somebody gave this person a Bible, don't know. But that's, that's here in Jenkins County. That isn't over in um, Cambodia. That's in Jenkins County. A few weeks ago, we had a little Easter egg thing going on out here, and uh, Lindsay was trying to teach some of the children back yonder, and uh, she said she was just amazed, not amazed, she was saddened by how many of them just didn't know just basic Bible stories when she would ask them, you know, how many of y'all know anything about Noah's Ark or uh, David Goliath or just maybe some of y'all, well, I don't know, but I mean, they didn't, these kids just had no knowledge whatsoever. And I understand that's the home's responsibility primarily, but y'all, the home's failing. The home's failing in our society. And uh, church has got to step up and fill the gap. We got to. Um, so we've got a lot of work to do in Jenkins County. So how are we going to stay on mission in eight minutes, 46 seconds? <coughs> like David, we're going to have to consider the cost. We've got to consider the cost. Um, Luke 14, if you want to pull that up. We've got to consider the cost. David said, I'm not going to offer to God that which cost me nothing. And unfortunately, too many so-called Christians... Um, let me just make this statement. I am, I am very sure of the security of the believer, but I'm also very sure of the insecurity of the make-believer. And uh, we have a lot of make-believers in churches. We really do. Um, I think that's probably because we've never really considered the cost. It costs. It costs to serve God. It costs. I mean, but anything you do costs you. Anything does. It's just a matter of... Uh, where you want to give it to. In Luke 14, verses 25 through 34, I'm not going to read it. It's up there. For sake of time, I'm down to 7 minutes, 38 seconds. Um, we may go a little longer. Um, <laughs> Jesus just tells his disciples, you know, what person building a house is not going to consider the cost before he gets started. Because um, if he gets started and just builds a foundation and runs out of money and can't finish it, People are going to laugh at him and call him a fool, call him stupid. So God's not asking us for anything before we have considered what it's going to cost us. Prime example of that is my little girl, Adley. She ain't little. She's 14 now. She's big. I'm big as I am. Um, playing softball, and she's not really enthused about playing softball now. Um, but back in the fall, September, they started getting this team together. Who wants to play? You say you're going to play, you're going to play? Yep. Committed, going to be there. All right, let's do it. Now, getting aware don't really want to play. Don't really want to And I, it's okay with me if we don't. But bottom line is we said uh, we're going to do it. We're going to do it. We're going to finish it. Okay? We're not going to quit. Whatever the country, you be a quitter. You quit, you're going to be a quitter all your life. You're not going to quit. You're going to finish it. We're going to finish it. Regardless, maybe we didn't consider the cost. But regardless, uh, God is asking us to consider the cost before we jump on board. God doesn't want us because he says salt is useful in the last verse there. But if salt loses its saltiness, which is really impossible, it doesn't happen. 
Salt is always salt. You can't change it. It's sodium and it's chloride. It doesn't change. But if salt loses its saltiness, it's good for nothing. It's good for nothing. What happens is we get covered up with all the other things the world has us to do, and we just become weak, and you can't taste our salt, and we really ain't no good to nobody. But like David, we need to reckon, we need to know that it costs to serve God. Oh, Bob Dylan sang a song. You probably know that song, don't you? You got to serve somebody. You might like to drink whiskey. You might like to drink milk. You might like to wear cotton. You might like to wear silk. How's the rest of it? You might be the heavyweight champion of the world. There we go. But you got to serve somebody. Yes, indeed, you're going to serve somebody. It might be the devil. It might be the Lord, but you're going to serve somebody. Okay? We're going to serve somebody. Um, consider the cost. Anything else is going to cost you your soul and your eternity. All this is going to cost you is your life, and you're going to get eternal life. That's the very life of God. That's now. It ain't. I'm not waiting to go to heaven to experience God and see God. It's, it's right now. It's, he is here for us to experience right now, and I've got to get that point. He doesn't stop running the clock. Bless your heart. <laughs> he wants me to finish this. Um, but how do we stay on mission? How do we stay on mission? Um, I think we stay on mission like Moses stayed on mission. In Hebrews 11, the Word of God says that Moses, uh, let's see how it says it. Moses, um, considered the reproach of Christ being more valuable than the things of Egypt. And the fact that he left Egypt, it says he left Egypt as if he had seen the invisible God. That's how we're going to stay on mission. How we're not going to get turned because, you know, it's easy to get off mission. It ain't just things of the world. I mean, people do things. People say things that offend you and that uh, make you mad. You know, it's just part of, I mean, that disappoints you. Did I ever disappoint you, Kiki? You like anyway? She never disappoints me, but I have disappointed her sometimes. But the way you stay on mission is you consider the cost and you make your mind up. And you're doing it as if, and it ain't just as if. The Bible says that he actually saw the invisible God. I mean, it's the idea that, I mean, it's all about him. This ain't about Connection Church. It, honestly, God, this is not about Connection Church. I'll do this on the street corner if I have to. I did it for seven years in the prison. Going, this ain't about Connection Church. It's about Jesus. If I, can, if I can use Connection Church to reach people for Jesus, I'll use Connection, connection Church to, use people, to reach people for Jesus. But if not, if that stops, okay, I'm going to be like Philip. I'll just go somewhere else. If we ever stop reaching people for Jesus, because that's why I got on board, okay, if we ever just get to be a club where we're just hanging out drinking coffee, um, I'm going to find somewhere else where God's moving. Because God's always on the move. He don't stop. I promise you. He does not stop. He is slowing that clock down. <laughs> and people about there are going to be mad at you, Russ. <laughs> I'm telling you. But really... Um, One way we stay on, wish, on mission in this church is primarily, I think, first is through our connect groups. I mean, connect groups. Core values, I mean, our heart and soul, which is your first kind of entry level you come through, um, that's just, that just gives you an idea of what the church stands for, what our values are, what our 
morals are, where we stand on social issues, and hopefully you can agree with them because I don't think they're overbearing at all. Um, and that just gets you church membership, okay? And all the benefits that come from being part of Connection Church. <laughs> it really does. Um, and it's good. But you know, that's just a piece of paper is all it is. If God really doesn't have your heart and soul, it's just a piece of paper. It doesn't mean anything. Where it really happens at is in our core groups, in our connect groups. In our core group, when we first got started, you know, some people were like, oh, this little cult people, they just want to stay over there and not let anybody know. It was, uh, it was hopefully it was us coming together and getting to know each other because, you know, you see faces, and I knew Sabrina, and I knew Jeremy and Dallas, and well, you know them, but you don't know them, you know. You don't really know where they're at, where they stand. That's all it was. It wasn't us trying to do, be better or be separate. I mean, it was just we wanted to come, pull ourselves apart for a while and get and see if this is what we really wanted to do, if this is where God wanted us to go. And that's basically what it was. And that was good. Core group was good, but I'm telling you, connect group I'm in now is great. I'm serious. It is, it is great. I'm sorry, y'all. I'm sorry y'all was it, but ours is great. <laughs> Talking to Taylor and Kristen that you stoned, Dallas. <laughs> God forgive you. <laughs> God forgive you. But what do we do at Connect Group? I mean, if you're not if you're not heart and soul, and this is something you think you might want to do, just check it out. See if it is. If you decide to get in a Connect Group, and and I didn't start with. I was we were in Connect Connection over in Statesboro for I don't know how long, four, five, six, seven, eight years. I don't know. Crank that clock up, and um, never got involved. Never went through heart and soul. Never got in a connect group. They had great services. Enjoyed going to service over there. But connect group has really transformed my life. It really has. I probably wasn't a real good people person before, and I may not really still be a real good people person, but I'm getting to be a better people person. And I know some of y'all like me. You know, you can stick me over here like little Jack Horner in the corner. I'll be fine. Give me the guitar, man. I'll be good. Talking all, you know, I'll be good. Me and Jesus, we're good. I mean. But Connect Group has helped me to become a better people person because God loves people. And if we're going to be generous, extravagant, high-born children of God, we've got to love people. We've got to. We've got to. And that's what Connect Group does. Um, we eat. Do we not eat? We eat. So if you're hungry and you just want a good meal, join a Connect Group. You at least get one good meal every week. I mean, we eat. We eat. And we just hang out, just talk. I mean, at ours we do, just hang out and talk. We ain't no great big hurry. We just hang out and talk. And then um, we look at, you know, whatever scripture we're reading for the week, discuss it. And uh, I just get encouraged. I, I don't have time to tell you how I get encouraged, but I'm telling you, I get encouraged. Um, Paul said in Romans 11, 1, when we were, I mean, 1, 11, that he wanted to impart, he wanted to come to them because he had the spiritual gift he wanted to impart to them. And he's like, but what I mean is I want to be encouraged by your faith and I want your faith to encourage me. That's what happens in Connect Group. My faith gets encouraged and hopefully I encourage. What you doing on stage? Somebody tell you to come up here. <laughs> but the last one is our worship service. And really this is our minimal, this is a minimal act of worship. It really is. This is, this is, it is. This is the minimal. This is just the minimum what God asks of us. And he does ask it, you know. Um, 
not to forsake this sentiment of ourselves together. I'm not saying it's not important, but it's, but it's really, it, it's minimal. Because in Romans 12, 1, the Word of God says that we're to present our bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. For this is our spiritual worship. Another translation says this is our true and proper worship, our bodies. That's our spiritual worship. That's what it means, to present ourselves, to give ourselves. Like I'm saying, God doesn't need our money, doesn't want our money. I mean, in fact, he says that the, the, he says that the gift of the wicked, I'm not calling anybody wicked, but if you don't know Jesus, it puts you on the other side, um, is an abomination to the Lord. It's an abomination. I mean, God doesn't want it. And if the preacher accepts it, Dallas, if you're taking money from somebody that you just know is unsaved, um, basically what you're doing is taking a bribe to keep your mouth shut and not say anything about them, not confront them with right and wrong. Because that money holds you down and says, you know, I don't want to say nothing to him and tick him off because I might lose his money. He's a pretty good money giver. Okay? But the Word of God says that it's an abomination. I mean, the offering of the wicked, it's an abomination to God. He doesn't want it. That's not what he's after, y'all. He's after our hearts. That's what he's after. He's after our hearts and our lives. Um, i got to wrap this up quickly. Staying on mission. Um, Really isn't going to happen. I'm going to just put this in my own words, get away from anything. It really isn't going to happen. We're not going to stay in mission if, um, if we're not walking in the Spirit. I'm trying to think of how to say this right. We won't stay on mission. If we're not walking in the Spirit, we will not stay on mission. The Bible says that if we say that we're in the light, but we practice darkness, we're living in darkness, the Bible says that we lie and the truth's not in us. If we're not walking in the Spirit, and the Bible says in Amos, he's my main man, it says in Amos that two cannot walk together unless they are agreed. You can't walk with God. And that word walk, Webster says, means to be in union, to be in association with. You can't be in association with God. You can't hang out. You can't, you can't have this anointing, this, this, this ever-abiding presence of God. You can't have that experience. Um, if you're walking in darkness, it just doesn't happen. I mean, it grieves the Holy Spirit. Even if you are saved at the very best, it grieves the Holy Spirit. I mean, it's kind of like when you tick me off. You know, I'm just going to pull away. It's fine. You know, that's the way you want to go, go. But if all we've got is heart and soul uh, members, if all we've got is connect group members, and all we've got is people that's showing up here for a worship service, but they're not, I'll explain this in a minute, filled with the Spirit of God, then all we're going to have is another fork and knife club at our connect group where we get together and eat, and we're going to tell jokes, bad jokes probably, and um, we're going to gossip about people, and we're going to invite people who are just like us because we don't want nobody that ain't like us because really we hate people that ain't like us. If we're not full of the Spirit, if we're really not walking if we're not in agreement with God, as Amos said, that's what this is going to turn into. And we'll just be another church um, that puts on, and we have our own rituals. We have our own things that we do. But if we're not walking in the Spirit, um, we're going to become a stale, stagnant church that God says in Amos, he hates. He says, I hate your religious meetings. I hate them. I don't want God to, God to say that about us. I don't want God to come in here and go, I hate this. This stinks. This is so unreal. You're not walking with me. 
You're not in agreement with what I had to say. This is not going to come as good as connect groups and heart and soul and as good as this worship comes. What I'm talking about is not going to come through all this. I've always told my kids, you're not going to find this um, at the MOVE conference. You're not going to find this at um, Million Man March for Jesus, whatever it happens to be. You're not going to find it. You're going to find this in your closet. You're going to find his presence, and certainly, hopefully, we can experience this here as we come together, but if we're going to be walking close to God and walking in agreement with him, it's going to come through us spending time. I've told Gresham this since he was a little old guy. You've got to get in your room, close your door, open your Bible, meditate on God, and allow him to strengthen you and to fill you. That's the way it comes. Okay, if you're leaning on me, uh, you're leaning on the wrong one. Okay, It ain't going to happen that way. It's going to happen through you spending time with God, in the Word of God, in prayer and meditation, that's the way you're going to get filled with the Spirit of God. Because just like you can get filled, you can get unfilled. You can. The Bible says um, in Philippians chapter 2.13, it is God who's at work in you. We're not called to come to church. We're called to be the church. We shouldn't have to pray for a divine encounter. We should be a divine encounter. We should be carrying the Spirit of God in us and on us so that when we encounter people, they should encounter the living God. They really should. That's not foreign to Scripture. Not at all. We should be that close to God that when we encounter people, I experience that. And I'm not boasting in myself. The Word of God says in Jeremiah, if anybody boasts, let him boast in this, that he knows and understands me. That's what you want to boast about the truck you drive or the house you have or the beach. If you're going to boast in something, boast in this that you know and understand me. I've experienced this, okay? Just being around people, it's almost, I know this sounds a little weird, but I am a little weird, okay? It sounds a little weird, but it's almost, I've got to imagine that it's, it's sort of like when Jesus was in the crowd and the woman had an issue of blood, touched him, and, and he felt something. He was like, who touched me? Like, who did you, what are you talking about who touched you? People are all around you touching you, but it's somebody's drawing from you. Now, I've experienced that same thing where you just, I'm not saying nothing. I'm not quoting scripture to nobody. I'm just in the middle. I'm just there. And I've ex I have just experienced that feeling. And it's a good feeling. You just know that, man, God's just pouring out. God's just pouring the Spirit out. God's just pouring the Spirit out. I'm not saying nothing. I'm not doing nothing. I'm not trying to correct anybody. God's just pouring the Spirit out. But if we're not filled to the point of overflowing, it ain't going to pour out. Jesus said, he who believes in me out of his innermost being, that's out of his gut, it's going to flow rivers of living water. Flow. And this crazy man, Jesus, was in this solemn assembly, okay? He was in, it was the last day of the great festival. And the Bible says that he stood up and cried in a loud voice. Y'all want me to cry in a loud voice? He who believes in me, okay? He was speaking of the Spirit, which hadn't been given yet. It's going to flow out of us. Again, I can't, uh, if we're going to stay on mission, ultimately that's what it's going to take. We've got to be a people who are filled to overflowing with the Spirit of God. Psalm 51.6 says, Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts. In the hidden part, you will make me to know your wisdom. In the hidden part, you will make me to know your wisdom. The Bible calls it a mystery. You know what a mystery is? Mystery is something you can't figure out. 
And some of us have been sitting here waiting till we get it all figured out. You can't figure it out. It's a mystery. It's in the hidden part. He makes you know wisdom in the hidden part. You know what a hidden part is? It's the part you can't see. I don't know where it is. It's your innermost being. I know some of us don't understand it. And some of us probably don't even know it. And again, I'm just going to tell you, it's one of these things that you can't know till you know it. You just can't know it. You can't have it till you have it. Well, how can I know it? Maybe asking that question. How can I know it? The Bible says that it's impossible to please God without faith because the person who comes to God must believe that he is. That's the first step. You just got to believe that he is. God, I don't understand it all. I don't understand it all. I don't understand it all. I do not understand it all. I don't understand it all. But I understand he lives in me, and I understand I live in him. That's enough to get me there. If you don't know that, if you don't know that, if you do not know that he's in you, and that he wants you to be in him, that he wants to be one with you, he wants to be one with you, I'm just going to invite you to know that. If you want to know that, the way we do it is we just raise our hand. You do know that. The Word of God tells us that we need to set aside the sin that so easily entangles us. And I know even as a believer, I've dealt with sins that easily have entangled me. And run with race, run with endurance, with patience, the race that's set before us. The band comes up and gets ready to close service. If there's something that God's dealing with you about that you need to be set free from, this altar, this place is open. Your seat's open. And if you need to talk with one of us, Jeremy or Dallas or myself or anybody in a blue shirt after the service, um, we're here for you. We don't know that we can answer your questions, but we can point you to the one that can. Amen.